we are in a series right now, both in our community groups and Bible study and Sunday morning, looking at the resurrection life. We're looking at different ways that we live specifically different because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're trying to imagine how the resurrection of Jesus isn't something that we simply believe or a reality that, that saves us from sin, but is actually kind of the fundamentally different way that we live in this world forever. And so each Sunday we've looked at a different way. And today, Pastor Michelle is going to continue that series. So would you join me in, in praying for her, please? Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you for your resurrection. We do thank you that the grave is empty. And we also thank you today that that fact, that reality is so full of implications, so full of meaning that we'll never be able to exhaust it. And so, Spirit, we pray that uh, your servant, Pastor Michelle, would preach and teach with clarity and wisdom and authority from you today so that our eyes could be opened, our hearts could be enlightened, and we could live in a different way as a resurrection people this coming week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Good morning. Right. So we have um, a long passage this morning, so we're going to go ahead and just get right into it. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8, um, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 23. So uh, this is one of those Sundays, because it's so long, if you don't have a Bible or a phone or a tablet or something, you may want to sit next to somebody so you can, you know, cause, you know read, follow along. Um, But once you get there, if you can stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. So beginning with verse 1, it reads, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you out, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is the word of God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I told you that was a long one. Aren't you happy you read along? See? (laughs) So um, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday a few Sundays back. Four Sundays back, because this is now the fifth Sunday of Easter, Eastertide, and, and what um, many churches around the world who are more liturgical than we are understand that Easter isn't just something, and I know our, our worship leader don't like that word, but we're going to use it just for now. <laughs> but Easter is not something that we just celebrate one time on Resurrection Sunday. It is a season, and it lasts several Sundays, I think seven. Is that right, Pastor David? All right, seven Sundays. And so we are now in the fifth Sunday of Easter. So it's appropriate for me to say Christ is risen. risen Amen. All right. So that is why we are in this sermon series looking at the resurrection. You and I understand even beyond the seven days of Easter, the seven Sundays of Easter, we live as a resurrected people. If we believe that our savior died on a cross, was put in a tomb, and on the third day rose again, if we take that seriously, then we know that we have been made new, that we have been resurrected, that there is a part of our bodies, a part of who we are that has been completely transformed because we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and we live into the resurrection. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be resurrected people as it relates to our bodies, our physical selves. So the title of my sermon this morning um, is Made for Him. So if you are here and you are one who is like, him, I apologize. Made for God, who is neither male nor female. But I, I, I do use him sometimes. You can use her if you'd like, but I'm comfortable with him. So Made for Him. And so when I thought about this, 
Um, I'm not good at titles. I'm not good at any of these things. But, you know, Crystal texted me and said, what is the title of your sermon? And I thought, well, what might a title be? And, and made for him made sense because we are, in fact, quite literally made for him. We are quite literally made to be temples in which the Holy Spirit resides. We were made for him. God created us in his image. God created us in order to continue the work he had already begun. Our original call, he said, hey, let us make for ourselves some folk who can continue to take care of the things that I have created. We were made quite literally for God. And so if that is the case, if we were made in his image, if we were made for God, and if we were created new when Christ rose from the dead and now live as resurrected people, then that says to me at least that what we do, how we think about our bodies matters. Yes, we are spirit people, but God created flesh and blood in God's image. And so if we were made for God, we ought to care about what we do, how we live in our bodies. But the church has had a pretty complicated relationship with the body throughout history. I'm going to go ahead and say the church continues to have a quite complicated relationship with the body. Um, and you, you can hear this in some of Paul's writings, but... Prior to, you know, our Christian um, theology, prior to, prior to Christ, there was a, a, a mindset, um, a, a way of thinking about the world, a spirituality that was floating around in ancient Rome, and it was called Gnosticism. And so Gnosticism covered a lot of things, but at the core of it was a belief that the material world, that includes our bodies, was actually evil that it was created by a lesser God, and that it is a cage almost for our spirits. And so the goal of Gnosticism was to get as much gnosis or knowledge because knowledge was what was understood to free you from your body. Salvation meant becoming knowledgeable enough to be delivered from, saved from this material world, which included your body. Now, there were a whole lot of practices that went along with that that were not very healthy at at all. I'm going to go ahead and say that mindset is probably not the most healthy mindset. But when the church was forming, this was floating around in different forms, and it absolutely made its way into the way the early church and some early Christians thought about Christ and what salvation meant. And so there was absolutely a belief, this carryover, that our bodies are problematic. God died to save our souls, to save our spirits, and if we could just shed this flesh, we'd be okay. And there's a way that you can read Paul's words and, and, and hear that. There's a way that if we're honest, we read Paul's words. And if you had never heard Gnosticism before, when you hear Paul talk about the flesh, we think about our bodies. We think about our bodies as caging our best intentions. <laughs> if we could just get rid of this flesh, we'd be okay. This has made its way into the church in lots of different ways. In churches that don't care a lick about what's going on anywhere else except for the salvation of souls. The idea is not that we need to feed hungry people because they're hungry. It's we need to feed hungry people because, well, they're hungry because they're defective. And if we can save their souls, they won't be defective anymore. And what matters is their souls. 
This is the way we frame evangelism most of the time. We need to go out and save souls. Yes. Yes, you should. God cares about our soul and our spirit. God cares also, though, about our bodies. And we serve a God who says that I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. So that says to me that he doesn't just care about my soul when I die, but about how my soul and body and spirit and mind and all of that are living right now. And he came that that me, all of me might have life and have it more abundantly. But this idea of the body being evil, the flesh being bad, that we need to cast it off, this has absolutely filtered itself into our church. That is not the gospel. (laughs) That is not good news. I don't know about you, but my plan, and when I finish this engine to recognize how ridiculous this is, but my plan is to live to be at least 102. But 102 years of trying to escape something that I think is holding me back from, like, that's not abundant life. (laughs) That is not the gospel. We serve a God who came to us not only in bodily form, wrapped in sinful flesh, as Paul says, but who also returned to us after he got out of the grave, wrapped in bodily flesh. Jesus Christ didn't come roaming around his people for 40 days after the resurrection in his spirit. He came in a body, and in, in, in his heavenly body, the, the disciples didn't recognize him at first. I believe maybe they didn't. He looked a little bit different, but you know what he had? The scars from the crucifixion were on his hand. He came in flesh. And that's an important detail, not just because we understand doubting Thomas and Jesus could say to him, look, it's okay, touch me, see that I am real. Jesus said, touch me to you and to me. See that I am real and that I actually care about this body that you inhabit. That is the gospel. Our bodies matter. And when we understand this, we can see Paul saying this in the text. He makes a distinguishment or he distinguishes between spirit, flesh, and the body. We often will use flesh and the body synonymously, but Paul is pretty careful in his text for the most part of making a distinction between these these three things. The flesh, the desires of the flesh are evil, wicked, sinful. They've been corrupted. And we probably can say, yeah, that feels about right. Yes, yes. (laughs) The spirit, Christ dwelling within us, the Holy Spirit motivating, leading, and animating our lives. That is, that is how we ought to live and what we ought to be subject and surrendered to. And the thing that lives inside of us. And then he talks about the body. The body is not evil. The body is not good necessarily. The body is kind of neutral. A body controlled by the flesh is going to lead to death. A body not filled by the spirit, a body not surrendered to Christ, you're going to have some problems. But the body, when filled with the spirit, the body, when led by the Holy Spirit, is absolutely good and holy and right. The body, your body, who you are, it is not 
evil. It is not something to be escaped. God said that it was good when he created all of creation. Our bodies are not the issue. What we surrender to, what we submit to is the issue. Are you submitted to the flesh? Are you submitted to your desires? Are you submitted to what our world, our culture, and the air that you breathe? Are you submitted to what those things say are good? Are you submitted to Jesus? Are you submitted to your heavenly father? Are you surrendered to the spirit dwelling inside of you? That determines the trajectory of your body. Whether it is leading on a path of destruction or being led on a path of life. Like all creation, the body, our bodies, our physical selves experience the consequences of sin. But the body itself is not sinful. And I'm going to say it again. The body itself is not sinful. Let me tell you another place where our our, um, Gnosticism has creeped into our religion. Especially when it comes to women's bodies. (laughs) The body itself is often seen as sinful, as a thing to be covered up and hidden, as a thing to be policed heavily because it is something that's going to lead to your brother's temptation. For our brothers in Christ, the body is the thing you have to fight against. It's the thing that keeps you from being able to live the way you want to live. And of course, when I say this, I am literally referring only to sexuality because the only time we seem to care about the body is as it relates to sex. (laughs) The body is not evil. God created you and me in his image and he looked at things and said it is good. We often talk about um, the already and not yet nature of our salvation. We already live as a resurrected people because Christ has already gotten up from the grave. But we haven't quite fully gotten over into glory where all things have been made perfect and made new. This is true of the way that Paul talks about our bodies. Like Christ, one day he will return and we will receive heavenly bodies. And so maybe we'll be like Jesus walked around. Maybe you won't look exactly like you look. I mean, I don't really haven't fleshed that part of the theology out yet. But that's what the word tells us, that we'll receive our heavenly bodies. But you guess what it said? Bodies. We're not going to just float around as dismembered beings. (laughs) One day. On the the other side of glory, we will be brand new. We will be created in a different way and all things will be whole. But even now, in the not yet, you and I are resurrected people. We have experienced a form of resurrection. Our bodies have been redeemed. No, these are not our future heavenly bodies. But as Paul says in verses 10 and 11, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, who, who raised Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies, to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Even now, if you know Jesus, you live as a partially resurrected person, <laughs> our bodies have been redeemed. And so what is the practical application of this? There are a couple ways that I want us to think about this. So the first thing is 
the world right now would tell you that your body is very important. It's, it's, it's extremely important. Um, you need to be fit and you need to look good. Summer is coming. You should be bathing suit ready. There are things that your, your body absolutely matters. There is a particular type of body that is best, right? It is tall, not too tall. It is thin. It is fit. It is not full of wrinkles. It is fair. It is an acceptable body. And you and I, those of us who may not fit into that mold, our job is to do everything we can to work on our bodies so that we are acceptable. That's what the world would tell us about our bodies. That is absolutely not the gospel. That is not good news. I can say with almost 100% certainty that Jesus does not care if you are bathing suit ready. Amen? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) On the other side of that, though, the church would have us believe that our bodies don't matter at all beyond controlling sexuality. That your body is something to be ashamed of. That your body is something to be hidden. That your body is something to be controlled and policed so that you don't lead anybody astray. That is not the gospel. That is not good news. I will say right now to my brothers in Christ, if you find yourself tempted whenever you see a woman That is your problem, and you need to talk to someone about it. First Jesus, then a community, a pastor, somebody. Amen? There's nothing wrong with her body. In short, by both the church and the world, the body is treated like something that is hmm, disposable. Something that should be despised unless it looks exactly like we say it ought to look. Unless it does exactly what we say it ought to do. The body is something to be policed, to be controlled, to be molded and shaped. But the gospel says that we were made in the image of Christ and we have been made alive in Christ and not just our spirits, but our bodies. The gospel says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God cares about your whole entire self, your body, your soul, your spirit. Every part of you, every part of me has been redeemed. And this is why it matters. If God cares about our bodies, we need to care about our bodies. Imagine what it would look like if we framed our justice ministries, not just because we want to save souls, but because God cares about the bodies that are experiencing the injustices that we've identified as injustice. Poor education, poor housing, lack of good food. These are not injustices just because they are things that we say are bad. It's because they affect people's bodies, people's real life flesh and blood. And God said, I called that good and precious and beloved. You ought to care about those bodies. How would that change the way we think about doing the work of God? Not just going out and saving souls, but actually saving people and inviting people to live abundant life. Because that's what Christ called us into and that's what he died to give us. Not just when we get to heaven, but here as we walk around in this world. Here's another place where it matters. Today, you could go to church every single Sunday from now until you leave this earth at 102 if you're me. 
You could go to church every single Sunday. And even if you do live to be 102, you might never hear anyone tell you that what you put in your mouth, how you take care of yourself matters to God. We treat our own bodies like they're just like a sort of incidental thing to, well, (laughs) God cares about your health. (laughs) God cares about the drugs that we take, illicit and otherwise. How many people can say sugar and caffeine? Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) The world would tell you that all you need do is look around and if you see someone who looks thin and fit, they are good. The word would tell you, I actually care about what's happening on the inside of your body, like your cholesterol, your blood pressure, things like that. Like Jesus cares about those things. That matters. All of who we are matters to God. And finally, what you do with your body matters. Where you decide to put it or not put it. How you decide to move it or not move it. Can someone say worship? The way we worship matters. And so when our worship leaders say raise your hands, that's not just like so they'll feel good or so you feel good. That is literally a way of us saying I, this thing, this body, it matters to you. And so with my body, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to do it with everything that I have within my control. That includes my mouth and my voice and my soul and my spirit and my mind. Worship is not just for you to think good thoughts and good thoughts and happy thoughts about God. It's not just for you to feel really good in your heart about the song. No, yes, do those things too. And then worship him with your whole body. That's a way that we say to our fleshly desires. It's a way that we say to our bodies, hey, you belong (laughs) to God. All week long, there are people who are telling you, you need to do this, look like this, fit into that, get your bathing suit ready, whatever it is. But we confess on a Sunday when we come together and anytime you have a worship moment in your car or in your house, I hope you have those. We confess that no, no. This is a body that is beloved by God and has been redeemed. And this is a body that will worship him. And this is a body that will go where the spirit leads it to go. And this is a body that will touch, physically touch those that the spirit leads to touch. A hug can go so far. This is a body that is surrendered to God. Not just a spirit saved, not just a soul and a mind, but a body that has been redeemed. And that is surrendered to Christ. If you and I looked at gun violence and poor health and lack of education and and all of the things that we say we care about, if we looked at that through the lens of Christ who says, I see human bodies that I loved so much that I decided to wrap myself in one and come and give myself for them. If we looked at it from that lens, I just feel like it'd be real hard for us to sit back and be apathetic or complacent. And so the urge and the call this morning is to think of yourself the way God thinks of you. Not just as a spirit that he loves and one day will get to go to heaven. But right now, as you sit in this chair and the shirts and then the whatever you have on and your jeans and your shoes and all the things that you did to take care of your bodies that God cared about, even every part of that and every part of you, you are not evil. Your body is not something that needs to be causing shame in your life. 
Your body is not something you need to be delivered from. Sin is something you need to be delivered from and something we have been delivered from in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, pray for us. Um, but I do have a challenge for us this week. I am going to go out on a limb and say that most of us, if not all of us have some very deformed ways of thinking about our bodies because we live in a world that tells us on a regular basis that something is wrong with our bodies. And most of us, many of us, some of us have grown up in churches <laughs> that have told us that there is something wrong with our bodies. And I assure you that affects everything. It affects the way we read scripture. It affects the way we worship. It affects the way we pray. It affects the way we understand God's relationship to us. And so my challenge to you this week is to, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the ways that your thinking has been deformed around your body. And to, to really just have a moment where you can sit in a space of quiet and ask the Lord to reveal that to you. And I suspect that that's something that will take more than just a day or two days. It might be something you have to do for a couple weeks. Um, but ask the Lord to show you how your theology, the way you understand him, the way you understand who God is, how that has been deformed because of the way you understand your own body. Can we do that? I think if we do that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that, we might be surprised at what the Holy Spirit shows us. I know for me, it took a long time for me to understand God as one who just loves unconditionally. I was talking to my brother uh, not too long ago about this. He is a different soul. And he said, I don't really get how people can not think God loves them. Like, of course God loves them. And he went in this whole tangent about the, you have to know my brother for this to make perfect sense, but God isn't going to not like the lion because the lion kills somebody because, you know, that's what the lion does. And so why would we think people, God doesn't love us because of sin? It went off into a tangent. But the main point was him not understanding how God could not how we could be confused about God's love. Now, my brother is not a Christian. And I was listening and I'm like, well, you know what? God bless you. That is not the perspective that most people have because most folk have not experienced love. Most of us don't know how to love ourselves well. And so to believe that there's a God who loves us unconditionally is just like mind blowing. You can't get there because I don't even love myself unconditionally. How do you love me unconditionally? I think part of that is because we walk around constantly trying to mold ourselves into unnatural shapes and believing that the very thing that we are is problematic. How do you accept and receive God's love if you can't even figure out that you are beloved? So I hope that you will take this invitation. And you will ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you're thinking and your theology and how that has been deformed. So, Father, we ask that you would have your way in us. God, you are good. <laughs> you are goodness. You are the personification of all that is good and wonderful in the world. And yet, God, you looked on your creation. You looked on us and said, it is good. And so I thank you for that. 
Father, I pray that you would forgive us for every moment that we have taken for granted the bodies you have given us. You have called us to live abundant life. You died that we would have that gift, that we would walk in freedom and liberty, not just on the other side of glory, but right now. And so many of us live bound lives, little small lives, because we haven't been able to fully receive your gift of grace. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us that you would begin to peel back those layers that you would begin to heal and deliver our minds from faulty thinking that sees the body you created as evil or wicked or something to be despised. God, I thank you that you have given us arms and legs and, and voice and bellies and bodies that can worship and live for you fully. I thank you that you have given us ways to love one another, to touch, to hug, to comfort. I thank you that you have chosen to dwell in these bodies. I thank you that you have chosen to call us precious and beloved. And so, Father, I pray that you would teach us how to surrender our whole selves to you. Not just our thoughts, not just our feelings, but God, our whole entire selves to you. Body, soul, spirit. I thank you, Lord. That if nobody else on this earth loves us, you love us exactly as we are. And I thank you that you have called us into community where we can be loved by others. And so, Father, we, we ask that you have your way in us. I pray that you will reveal yourself this week to each of us. I pray that you will bring healing and peace I pray that you will bring conviction. I pray that you will bring deliverance. I thank you that we will rest in your grace. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, and we will pray for our offering. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, you don't even worry about it. Let the offering basket pass you by. Um, but if you call New Community your home, um, and if you've come and you've prepared yourself to give an offering, uh, when we pray, when I pray for offering, I will often pray, you know, for God to increase it and use it for his glory to advance his kingdom in, in the world. And that, like, if you go to church all the time, if you go to this church, then that language makes sense to you, but that doesn't actually make sense to any, like, that, what does that mean? So, Today, I'm, I'm going to use those same words and pray that same prayer. But, but before I do that, um, if we can think about God's kingdom being advanced in the whole world, right? That, that is absolutely a spiritual reality. But it's, it's a spiritual reality that happens like through flesh and blood bodies. So when, when I pray for God's kingdom to be advanced, for these gifts to be multiplied, I am literally praying for God to use all of the people who are here in this room who are giving those gifts to do the work God has called us to do with our, with our whole selves, with our, our bodies. So it is absolutely Christianese and it is absolutely spiritual sounding language, but it means something really, really practical. Like God, let this money be used so that we can do what you told us to do with our whole selves. And so that means it's a call. 
it's not okay to just give it and then like come on us, right? We are a church that is active and is moving because with our whole selves, right, we are serving our God. So when you hear me pray that prayer this morning, please have that as your lens. That flesh and blood people have been called to carry out the will of God in the earth. That you and me have been called to carry out the will of God in the earth. And so God, we do thank you for the privilege of being able to sow into your kingdom. And we thank you for the resources that you have blessed us with. And we thank you, Lord, that we can now give a portion back to you. And Father, we do this as an act of worship. We do this as a declaration that we are surrendered to you. We do this as a declaration that you are our God, that we don't fear scarcity. We're not out here trying to figure it out, but you are the God who has a cattle on a thousand hill. And so we trust you for for provision. Not our intellect, not our jobs, not our family situations. We trust you, oh God, for our provision. And we trust you to direct our resources. And so God, we do pray that you would multiply these gifts and that you would use them to advance your kingdom in the world. And we thank you, oh God, that you have made us the agent by which you advance your kingdom in the world. And so, Lord, with this offering, we surrender ourselves to you. And we declare once again that we are willing to go wherever you send us. Say whatever you give us to say. Be with those you call us to be with. Touch those who you call us to touch. To bring healing where you call us to bring healing. That we declare today that we will go where you send us to be the light that is you in us. And so we thank you, Jesus. Not just for life everlasting, but for life abundantly right now. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So go from this place knowing that God cares about every step of that walk from earth into eternity. That he died so that you could have life more abundantly in that walk on earth. That he loves you, that he sees you, that he knows you. That the call for our lives is not to try to escape who we are, but to know that all of who we are has been subject to Christ. And to live in a way that subjects all of who we are to Christ. So you are absolutely beloved. Today, right now, exactly as you are. You are beloved by God who is transforming you and making you new. So we live in the power of that truth. We live in that resurrected truth. And we go from here as resurrected people. So, Father, keep your hand upon us until we meet again. Be glorified in us until we meet again. Cause us to live lives that bring glory to your name in this earth until we meet again. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.